0: Hello, and welcome to the Saving Dad podcast. If you've listened to episode one and heard me narrate the prologue and the first chapter from my book, Saving Dad, I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you haven't, then perhaps go back and have a little listen to that, because it'll provide a foundation for this second episode, in which I talk with Dr. Tony Hampton, who's a family physician and medical director in Chicago in the U.S. And it's actually of me appearing on his podcast, but it'll give you a really nice understanding of how I've traveled since the book Saving Dad and how I now help other people to overcome their mental illness. And in this podcast, we talk about all kinds of different things from the traditional treatment of mental illness, my personal story, my father's journey, and then I invite listeners into a new paradigm of how there's an alternative way to treat mental illness using science that's been lost to history. So we cover all kinds of ground and I really enjoyed this chat with Tony, he's such a a great doctor, a lovely guy. And uh, I hope that you enjoy listening to.
1: You are now listening to Protecting Your Nests with board certified family medicine and obesity medicine specialist, Dr. Tony Hampton. For more, visit drtonyhampton.com. Welcome to Protecting Your Nest Podcast. Many people in the world of conventional medicine where I train either have not been exposed to great stories of healing through nutrition, don't believe patients are disciplined to heal with nutrition, or maybe as Nina Teichel suggested in her podcast episode, don't have confidence in nutrition as a source of healing because previous recommendations Have been based on the dietary guidelines that are not likely to lead to success. So, if the dietary guidelines are not the answer, where does the answer lie? The reality is that many of my previous guests and I have personally seen what can happen when the right diet is given to the right patient. Today's guest has used diet to help put into remission many medical health conditions, but unlike many, who encouraged his approach, he takes it a little further and through some personal experience and by helping his dad, has been able to make dietary suggestions that are individualized based on the particular needs of the person he is attempting to help heal. If you or somebody you love is suffering from mental illness, this podcast episode was made just for you. Once you hear our guest's story, hope will be restored and new possibilities will emerge. Today's guest is Matt Jane, who is an autonomic neuroscientist, nutritionist, functional medicine, and mental health practitioner. He's also a keynote speaker and author of his inspirational book, Saving Dad. His work builds upon 100 years of autonomic neuroscience, including that of Dr. Beard, Pavlo, Price, Pottinger, Funkenstein, Gellhorn, Kelly, and Gonzalez. He helps people to resolve mental illness and chronic disease using diet. He also developed an online program entitled A New Model for Mental Health, The Scientific Foundations and Practical Applications of Treating Depression, Bipolar and Schizophrenia Using Nutrition. Matt Janes, I am so happy and excited to welcome you to Protecting Your Nest. How are you doing today?
0: Oh, thank you, Tony. It's a real pleasure to talk with you from over
1: over the pond. Yeah, I'm doing really well. That's right. How far over the pond are you for my listeners? So I'm in the, so I'm in the States, UK.
0: Right? I'm yes. in the
1: northwest of the UK.
0: And probably the closest place people will have heard of is Liverpool,
1: home of the Beatles. So you're you're where those now, so now in the Beatles, you have those uh, COVID variants.
0: <laughs> we do. I think we've sent them your way too, not yeah,
1: That's right. <laughs> I'm so sorry, we love uh, you guys. That's uh,
0: right. To apologize on behalf of the nation.
1: That's okay. We we'll appreciate the love, and and it's okay. Hopefully, our vaccines will hold us nice and steady, and um, it's it's awesome. So, you know, the more I have guests like yourself, the more thankful I am. You know that I actually am in school studying biochemistry and you know basic science courses. You know, talking about autonomic and yeah. sympathetic nervous system. So yeah. we'll get into that. So I really appreciate that. And I'm telling you, being in school really makes the conversations a little easier. So, but before <laughs> we get started talking about mental health, which is kind of be the focus of today's talk, let's go in the opposite direction. And when you think about the things you do to relax. Uh, rather For me, it's like movies, and I listen to podcasts. I even yeah. listen, write, listen to books. I don't read as much. I just listen. Tell yeah. me what you do to relax. What's your sense of uh, relaxation? What do you do?
0: Well, the big one, I um, mean, I share some with you, but the, the big one really is actually riding a motorbike. Really? So, uh, yeah. Um, I get lost in riding, so I find there's nothing... That gives more of a sense of freedom and relaxation than riding a bike, and you can't really concentrate on anything else when you're, you know, riding a motorcycle. And, um, yeah, I absolutely adore it, and it was something I loved from a very young age. So, I remember having a a little toy Suzuki, but, um, I wasn't allowed to get a proper bike, (laughs) you know, as a lot of people say. That's dangerous, and right. I guess they are. But um, as we'll probably come on to talk about, I I learned as an adult that life can be pretty dangerous itself um, without uh, things like that. So I I decided that you know once once things had happened, which we'll come on to, I'm sure, big events in my life, <clears throat> that uh, I was going to do what I thought was going to make me happy, and one of those things was riding a motorbike and i just love it
1: that's nice um i think you're right most parents get nervous about bicycles yeah. but what i've heard from a few people i knew you know patients really who ride motorbikes they say it's nothing it's like flying a plane it's like yeah. it's hard to yeah. explain i've never yes. experienced it but it right. may end up on my to-do list uh, <laughs> inspired by you <laughs> it's, it's like a meditation
0: Writing about yeah, things. that
1: is so crazy. Yeah, I like to experience different things, so maybe that'll be something that our listeners will put on their to do list as yeah. well. So, <laughs> I love it. So, and you're still with us, so clearly it's safe enough. So, you just have to do the right things to be safe. So that's, exactly. that's perfect. Yeah. So that's great. So great. That was our icebreaker. So let's go to <laughs> some thoughts related to uh, the topic of the day. And I know you and your dad have uh, personal stories as it relates to the challenges. You both have faced dealing with mental illness, so let's kind of go into your dad and your story just to get a feel for uh, your past and dealing with mental illness.
0: Yeah, in fact, I wanted. Would you mind? Um, I thought a nice way to introduce it might be just to read the short prologue from my book.
1: Absolutely, it sets I love the scene that. Quite nicely. Let's do that. Let's do okay, that. Okay.
0: So, I was three years old when I first witnessed the devastating effects of depression. On a winter's morning in 1975, as I paddled my beloved plastic tricycle into the kitchen, I saw my dad sobbing in mum's arms. Whilst being cradled, he was repeating the words, I can't, I can't. Although at the time I was too young to understand, the scene I witnessed was dad's first battle with bipolar disorder. Over the years, This mental illness has caused him to cycle between exhilarating highs and the depths of despair. Until recently, this book didn't have an ending. Since this is the true story of my life, I had to be patient enough for it to write its own. Recently, it did just that. So... Uh, Yeah, so that's the prologue, and my dad's journey with mental illness has actually lasted for uh, 45 years, and it's been an extraordinary journey of struggle, of suffering, but also of revelation. Um, a, A life lived alongside bipolar disorders, it's like riding a roller coaster, and that's led to many thrilling times, as well as desperate ones where hospitalization and and suicide attempts were unfortunately part of life Um, but one of the I think one of the key things to point out is that over a period of four decades uh, my dad was at the mercy of traditional psychiatry so that meant pharmaceuticals and electroconvulsive therapy Um, but as the story unfolds we reached a point where my dad was out of treatment options um, nothing was working and he was lying in the fetal position on the bed of a psychiatric ward. So I, I went searching for answers myself to my father's distress. And I found it um, buried in, in science, which has been lost to history. So it's that journey that I talk about in the book. Um, but now it's my life's purpose to bring you know, this approach that you've alluded to into other people's lives so that they uh, too can achieve mental health without relying upon pharmacology.
1: Yeah. I, I, um, I had a chance to, uh, have a conversation with Amber O'Hearn. Um, and you're familiar with her. Yes. Yeah. She's so, she's so smart. She's another reason why I'm happy I'm in school because she really kind of gets granular with the science. Yeah. And I really thank her for, being out there and helping people. And um, so that's definitely an episode, uh, if anybody hadn't heard that to check out. She, and just when we did the, we did a YouTube version uh, after the podcast and and that during that version, she talked about bipolar. And -hmm. it was just incredible to see a person literally heal Mm -hmm. um, or at least put it in remission and she's not even taking medicine. This is so yeah. perplexing. So I really, I, I just think that's incredible. So thank you for sharing. Uh, I, I love the way you, um, you know, read the story and, you know, I'm actually working on an obesity book now. And I'm like, I need to actually be a better storyteller. I have to describe <laughs> the environment and all the other things that go into, because I tend to be like a doctor. I'm thinking like a scientist and sure. I need to tell a story. So I really appreciate that. So I guess the next question I have is having a dad, um, with mental illness. Uh, I'm curious, you know, how, your, um, you know, maybe a little bit about your own struggle with, um, behavioral health. And then, and what was it, what is it like? Just, I want to, I want us to kind of just like that beautiful movie, Beautiful Mind. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to like see the world through your lens. So what was it like to have, you know, things that, you know, as it relates to depression and things like that, what is it like for you to live in that body and experience that?
0: Well, I mean, the, my story really, it, it, it runs my own personal you know, experience with, with <laughs> mental illness and specifically depression, really runs alongside that of my dad. Um, so I've got two experiences really. And the, the first one is an ob- observation, as you heard from my book from a very, very young age of seeing the man who I idolized sort of all my life um, go through this struggle. So there's great sadness and pain involved, um, great empathy. And I think as I've grown older, there's been a greater desire to try and help resolve some of that for him. You know, it's terrible to watch someone suffer. Um, And then from my own experience, you know, I started out in life, in corporate life. So I originally studied business. So I've had a huge transformation. And um, my corporate career was halted um, in its tracks, um, well, ended really, by my depressive episodes. So it's been very, very real in terms of the impact that it's had on my life. Um, But an example would be, you know, when I was at university, I was completely not for six by a very severe depressive episode of my father's. And it was really the first time, I suppose, outside of the very early years that I'd seen him very, very ill. And this was prior to my first year exams. So I came home to study for those exams. And upon arrival at the house, Dad literally fell into my arms crying and was the shadow of the man that I'd idolised all my life. And it was a real pivotal moment for me um, It was kind of the mirror image of that i'd seen when i was three when Mum was holding dad in her arms and now me age 19 it was me who was doing the cradling mm. and then that the trauma really of experiencing that sent me into my own depressive episode during which i had absolutely no energy and struggled to function and as i say i was about to take my university exams so i had to down my books i couldn't revise couldn't concentrate and um you know it had huge a huge impact on me i mean i did carry on and take those exams and they turned out just fine kind of ironically Mm. um but you know my life's been very greatly impacted um by mental illness
1: Yeah, you're, you're a smart guy. So you survived in spite of that. But I tell you, um, even as I'm trying to be a busy clinician, leader, father, you know, the whole family, um, whenever I have a struggle, during my current training it affects my grades on my quizzes so I'm not as smart as you because I just just. (laughs) Uh,
0: well I was given advice by my personal tutor who I went to see for advice and said that you know I'm really struggling here what should I do so yeah well you've got a choice to make you can either carry on and take the exams Mm -hmm. or you could given everything you've been through you could delay them and Mm -hmm. she said but either way You need to down your books and just look after your well-being. So Mm -hmm. I entered those exams probably in the calmest place of my life because I think I just entered a a space where I wasn't doing the traditional of just hitting the books, books, books all the time. I've done a lot of prep before, but I think my state of mind was different. I was Mm -hmm. calmer going into them.
1: That makes sense because one of the things we try to do is put all this information in our head and yet we don't really realize you need to take breaks you need to pause mm. you need to frame how you sure. reframe your brain around uh you know what if, let me just give an example so when i think about masters in nutrition i have to tell myself i've been striving to be an a student most of my life so what i've done now is mm. say well i don't have to be an a student i can just be a b student you know it's yeah. okay not to get a 95 on a yeah <laughs> you know it's okay so i have to give yourself some wiggle room Yeah, because I got, it's too much on your plate. So, but for you to have, to have the experience with your dad, just, I'm just, I was able to visualize that as you described, you know, literally cradling your dad. And I just, just visualizing that. That's why your book sounds like a good read because I haven't fully read it yet. I just got like an overview, but I'm going to tell you some, it sounds like exactly the kind of story uh, that I would love to read. So I really appreciate that. I do want to Uh, ask another question, which is dealing with, you know, again, I had Nina Teichel's Mm -hmm. on previously, and she shared the new dietary guidelines. uh, And, you know, she talked about dietary patterns and things like that. So I know that, you know, uh, there's some dietary patterns historically that are Mm -hmm. different than our current dietary patterns. And I was curious if, you know, you could kind of talk a little bit about the different dietary patterns from the past and contrast them and how that way of, un- just understanding that will help us understand why we're in a mess we're in right now.
0: Yeah, I love Nina's work. I love her book, Big Fat Surprise. I think she's a great oh, yeah. truth teller um, talking against the mainstream narrative about what we should eat. Um, but in terms of, yeah, my uh, experience and kind of the origins of how I came to help my dad, If you look at the work of Dr. Weston Price, now he was a dentist and epidemiologist, and he traveled the world over a period of eight years and lived with 14 different tribes from 14 different countries to try and, well, as a dentist, originally his purpose was to find out what the driver of dental decay was. But he went on to learn many, many things about both physical and mental health. Um, But two... The, really the two most important learnings in that were that different people thrive on different diets. So there's no one diet for everyone. And then when they follow the diet, which is suited to their individual biochemistry, they remain free of physical and mental illness. So he found that when people followed their traditional diet, whether that be, say, the Eskimos of Alaska or the Incas of the High Andes, there was no incidence of arthritis, asthma, cancer, diabetes, heart disease or or mental illness and he met with doctors in his travels who confirmed this to be the case and it was only when the descendants of these traditional people moved into the towns where the western diet was available that they suffer the diseases of modern civilization so his work debunks the myth that we should all follow one diet and it proves that Disease is, is not the natural order of life, but but health is, and I think if if only the people who design the government guidelines, and associated food pyramid had read the work of of Dr Weston Price, there wouldn't be the confusion that surrounds nutrition and health that we have today.
1: Um, that's that's bizarre. I'm, you know, you said dentists. Yeah. Um, I was already shocked that Nina and Gary Tobbs were journalists who opened our eyes. Yeah, um, indeed. And shout out to all the dentists. Um, indeed, Dr. Yeah. Price <laughs> uh, is a dentist who was able to uh, show this difference and this, and that's just amazing. So it really, that's really, just really reassuring. So that we all have a role to play, and and we have to listen to each other. And when you have a a great doctor who discovers. There's something here, guys. You just want people to listen. And I'm just thankful that you also was able to go backwards and listen to these uh, great minds. Um, I just love that. So, um, wow. So it's interesting. We've heard your story of um, mental illness. We've heard a little bit about your dad. Um, Your thoughts on where mental illness comes from? Because a lot of people um, are focused on you know, let's look at the neurotransmitter that's mm-hmm. you know not right, and yeah. we just kind of give you a medicine to fix that. But you know, I've learned I've learned through my functional medicine training, which is why I was happy to hear you had that kind of background. Yeah. That the root the root cause and the and maybe even the solution is broader than just one neurotransmitter. So oh, could you talk sure. a little bit about your idea of where um, where this comes from?
0: So yeah, um, well, again looking up at the findings of of other doctors in history um doctors funkenstein and gellhorn that you mentioned at the top of the show they they each conducted investigations over a period of 30 years which demonstrated that actually mental illness lies in an imbalanced autonomic nervous system and uh, for people that don't know the autonomic nervous system is is that system over which we have no Conscious control, but involved in all metabolism, immune function, our thoughts, emotions, uh, respiration, and cardiovascular function. And perhaps the easiest way for listeners to understand the system is, is through the example of, say, our blood pressure or body temperature. So our body's constantly trying to keep these within safe parameters by constantly adjusting the two branches of this autonomic nervous system which are called the sympathetic and the parasympathetic branches. And when it comes to mental illness, Dr. Funkenstein, who was a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, he compared the balance of these two branches in his students and in his psychiatric patients. And he discovered that whilst his medical students had balance between the two branches, His psychiatric patients had dominance in either the sympathetic or the parasympathetic nervous system. And that determined the type of mental illness that they suffered from. So then he was able to divide his patients into groups according to this balance in the system and tailored their treatment accordingly to restore both balance in the system and mental health. And then when he retested them after they'd recovered from the mental illness, he found that autonomic balance had been restored. So that provided the insight that mental illness is the result of an imbalance in the autonomic nervous system. And then Dr. Gelhorn, who was a professor of neurophysiology at the University of Minnesota, he conducted the same investigations into the role of the autonomic nervous system in mental illness. And despite him approaching it from a completely different angle, he found exactly the same results so it was through these doctors experience that when my own father was was suffering and i was looking for answers that i had to go back essentially 100 years in in total into science as i say before has been lost to history and, and resurrect it because i i found answers there um And whilst the likes of Funkenstein and Gellhorn were using the treatments available to them at their day, which would have been amphetamines and tranquilizers and ECT, I learned through other doctors, namely Kelly and Gonzalez, that the same thing could be done to what we call reflex tune, this autonomic nervous system, back into balance using nutrients. So yeah, that's... uh, it's kind of the backstory to and that, that kind of debunks this the chemical imbalance theory um, which you know, I think more and more people are beginning to realize isn't the true picture but in the absence of that people don't really know where to look and as I say I had to go searching a very very long and deep path to to uncover it
1: it's uh, perplexing that again, it took a little investigative uh, journalism, just like Nina mm. and Gary. And you, because you were at a, a moment of crisis with your yeah. dad, it forced you to look outside the box and look, think outside the box and see things differently. And you, it's almost like you unveiled, uncovered uh, some great scientists who, it's almost like they were forgotten i mean what really why happened. hasn't this science i mean was it political reasons why well, these people's approaches weren't known i think it's i think there's yeah a couple of different hypotheses
0: um that one is that the work has been ignored in the face of other things and then i think the other one that you have to kind of examine it is that um at the same time as some of these discoveries were being made was at the same time as things like hydrazine, you know, the first antidepressants were being developed in the 50s. And then there was a huge amount of effort and money being spent on first developing a market for depression and other mental illnesses, and then filling that market with the likes of pharmaceuticals. So I know that Gonzalez tells a story of um, Dr. Gelhorn, who was a, was a professor for thirty years at, at the University of Minnesota, and he called them to inquire about him, see what they had on him, and they didn't know who he was. <laughs> 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 and and he, I mean I've just touched on it. He he went very very far into this. So he, sure. even to the extent where he examined the control center of the autonomic nervous system, which is the hypothalamus and he discovered that not only does it send neuronal projections downwards through the body but it also sends projections up to the cortex you know as you all know the frontal cortex is where our thinking and our perception of the world is is derived from and he realized that in getting people well he was manipulating the autonomic nervous system reflex tuning as he called which was not only having these projections downwards, but it was also really creating balance in people's thinking and their behavior through these projections upwards to the prefrontal cortex. So he mapped all of this out. He wrote nine textbooks and 400 clinical papers. Oh. But try and find someone that's read any of them.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's that's mind-boggling. So... Um... It sounds pretty, um, it's some, in some ways simple and in other ways, complex. The part yeah. that feels complex to me is figuring out where you lie on this spectrum. So my assumption right. is the work you're doing is to help people figure out where they lie on this balanced spectrum with those two, you know, nervous systems and yeah. then helping them then uh you know, figure out which diet, and it sounds like some of the work that the previous uh scientists and doctors and dentists have done mm. has given you the template and yeah. you're you're kind of just applying what you've learned and you've done your own little experiment and you saw it's working, so now you're expanding that so other exactly. people can yeah, yeah so that's I mean
0: unfortunately they're all dead um Gonzalez was the last to uh, Pass in 2015 so okay. there's no one practicing it um and wow. you know he was largely although he did treat many other illnesses but his his most published work and that he's most famous for is in advanced cancer so um there's no one doing this for mental illness and you know, so it's important for me to keep it alive because yeah. um, otherwise it'll be lost to history. Yeah.
1: People need options. I, I would never say to a patient who needs in a crisis to take a medicine that's going to work for them. I think that's absolutely appropriate in a crisis moment, but man, people need hope that there's another way to get to exactly. that. This whole podcast is based on a root cause. and yeah. And what I loved about, you know, have an opportunity to talk to you is that for those who hadn't heard this message, there's a root cause that you hadn't heard of. And, yeah. and, and it's these sympathetic and parasympathetic uh, branches of the ner- nervous system. So it's really uh, helpful. So I know we're dealing with depression and, and bipolar schizophrenia, mm. maybe anxiety, things like that. How much of this teaching affects other conditions that you've seen, ADHD, autism, anything else out there that uh, seems to benefit from this approach? Well, from an
0: autonomic
1: perspective,
0: ADHD is driven by an overactive sympathetic nervous system.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that's only part of the picture. And I think people in the U.S., especially are at a particular risk, of developing these conditions you mentioned due to toxicity so herbicides and pesticides used in agriculture Uh, there's a great documentary called secret ingredients which i recommend that people watch and it proves beyond doubt the Mm. role of these chemicals in causing illnesses such as adhd and autism so i mean they they go through um Live examples of children that are struggling that aren't talking, you know, in early development, and they change the parents change the diet to organic um, and grass fed beef, and these illnesses they go away. And I think toxicity is huge, and that was one of the three pillars that Gonzalez used in cancer patients was detoxification, which I think you know we're subjected to they say up to seventy nine thousand environmental pollutants today, and in detoxification is very overlooked um but yes so the likes of adhd and autism are implicated but i think it's it goes beyond autonomic neuroscience although adhd as i say is implicated i think in the the quality of the foods that we eat and the nutritional value of those foods is really really important
1: yeah i i i am what i'm taking right now is how to read research studies. That's one of my classes, which is, you know, very helpful, especially when you're talking to Gary Tobbs and Nina <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> You know what I mean? You got to know uh-huh. how to look at the science. But the other class is toxicology. And, yeah. you know, we were not trained on mm. um, toxicology in any way. And and what I'm learning is that it's, it's what you don't put in your body that's helpful. It's what you kind of get out of your body. You uh, could have yeah. never told me that going to a sauna is going to somehow help you, yeah. and I, I was talking to um, the uh, one of my good friends, the Black A uh, Aday Fox, and she uh, I talked to her a little bit about um, you know this idea of um, you know using sweating, uh, and she she told the story about how uh, there was a scenario where um, alcohol was consumed and the yeah. sweating, you you can actually smell the alcohol. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's it's one of our med- detoxification
0: organs, isn't it? The skin. Stage. Yeah, it is. It makes sense. I never learned that.
1: Like, right. I, I didn't learn that in my, but in this uh, traditional, this training, this uh, functional medicine training, I'm learning that yeah. that's probably one. So, and that's why in some cultures, they have saunas, it's just, they, they it's like in their house. Yeah. So, and maybe one day in the future, with, with the permission of my wife, I'll be able to get a sauna. <laughs>
0: That's a good reason to get <laughs> yeah, one.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, it stimulates a- the parasympathetic nervous system, which looks after detoxification, you know, heat. So going back to Western price, nice. people that lived nearer the equator, they would be, they, they would follow a more of a plant-based diet. And there's no coincidence that Mm -hmm. a plant-based diet stimulates the parasympathetic nerves, as does heat. So their environment and the foods which suited their individual biochemistry the most was in alignment. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's always overlooked. Everyone always says there's only one diet for everybody, whether, you know, that be vegans saying it, vegetarians or carnivores or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that there isn't one diet to suit everyone. And I can manipulate someone's health and nervous system by giving them different foods because of the nutrients contained within those foods. It's absolutely obvious to me. Yeah.
1: And I, I love that you use the example of a plant-based diet. And um, I really, Dr. Terry Mason was my first guest right. on the podcast, right? Who was a vegan. And, you know, mm. and the reason why I wanted to bring him along for a, a visit to the podcast is to say it loud and clear to all my low carb and keto and carnivore <laughs> uh, friends and family and and listeners is that there's there's more more than one way. Now we may, you could argue in a in a world where uh, insulin resistance is predominant that for a lot of people it may end up being a low carb approach, but I think sure. that we have to hear each other and and if we have methods that. Are in a slightly different direction. Who cares? We're, we're all we're trying to do is be metabolically healthy, that's right. so that our friends yeah. and family and the people we serve are not having to live with mental illness. So, thank you for giving that example because I think that if we don't have that type of approach, we're going to only you know be fighting each other instead of listening to each other. Um, so that's very great.
0: Yeah, Appreciate yeah. That. I see people achieving health through different approaches yeah. to diet you know some people thrive on some plant-based um, mm-hmm. and others on a lot of red meat for instance but i think That's it's important right. what i would say outside of that it's important to note that certainly when dr weston price went around the world he found no traditional tribe who ate an exclusively plant-based diet they all ate some animal protein mm-hmm. whether that be eggs or perhaps yogurt in the case of the traditional swiss for example and the same was true of Dr. Kelly and Dr. Gonzalez's patients. So there's, even their sympathetic dominance, as they're called, who would be following a plant-based diet to um, try and cure a, a tumor-based cancer, for example, they required some animal protein to achieve health. Um, and you know, there's a huge rise in veganism and vegetarianism, isn't there? And Let's see how that one plays out. Um, but... And one of the clients who features in, uh, as a case study actually in my online, online program, she was very heavy plant-based before she consulted with me. And she'd eaten that way for years. And when I gave her my nu- nutritional recommendations for her individual biochemistry, she was horrified um, because it went against everything she believed about food. But within a month of following the diet, her mental illness had, had resolved and she was back to leading her company.
1: There you um, go. So
0: you know, it it's it just needs tailoring. And yeah. The basis of it in the, in this model is autonomic neuroscience.
1: And and just being open to experimentation. Yeah. Um, I think that's key. I'm I'm kind of as I listen to you, I'm praying. I say when I do my dominant brain type. of brand that it says I need to eat a whole lot of beef. So we'll see. <laughs> but either way, another thing I tweeted recently for those who follow me on Twitter, I did a tweet. You may have seen that where I, I mentioned that you need protein, you need amino acids for phase yeah. two of detoxification. Yeah, so, I did
0: see that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's like, you know, so there's, and so even um, as I learned this from my nutrition uh, professors, um, they, they had to acknowledge that for a lot of people, like you've suggested, protein's important. Yeah. Uh, I am curious, though, when it comes to having a dominant brain type, what happens yeah. if you, are there patients who don't really have, it's like a mixture, and how do you handle that when their brain type is not clear?
0: Well, there is a third group, so it breaks down into sympathetic dominant parasympathetic dominant and balanced metabolizers so for some people their illness is driven by both branches being weak and there is a well it's probably not very surprising but the balanced metabolizers need a mix of plant-based and animal-based products Um, but they all need to be derived from you know good quality um, nutritionally dense dense foods because you can of course, you could even you could follow a vegetarian diet and eat corn chips and Coca Cola, couldn't you? And it still be vegetarian. Um, but yeah, there's a third a third group where both branches of the autonomic nervous system can be weak, and we see that in bipolar, which is why people swing between mania and melancholic depression, is because both of those branches need supporting. So um, yeah, so I can. I can usually tell with by meeting someone what they should be eating because personality type, psychological traits are an important part of the mix and then some clues that they give away in in chatting to them about things like the health challenges that they've had in the past. So your, your point about hopefully sort of steak forms part of your <laughs> diet, I can pretty much tell by your personality that it will do. Um, because people that need red meat in their diet, which means they need to acidify their diet, Mm. um, they are usually pretty laid back. They're usually people, people. They usually get on with people. And, you know, the way you kind of present and talk, I think, is, is that rather than you type A's. Who were very, very um, nice. so military leaders and leaders of countries and all the rest of it, companies and well, good type A's with a very dominant left brain, academics, good runners, usually slim, high adrenal function, high thyroid function, good respiration, strong heart rate. They're usually the sympathetics that benefit from a plant based diet. So yeah, you can usually tell it. once you, you know can it. Tell. Yeah, by talking to someone. And then if you can't, you can go into health history, things like allergies. So parasympathetic dominance are prone to allergies Mm. because the calcium leaches out of the cell, which makes the cell membrane leaky. So allergens and pathogens can get into the cell and mediators of inflammation can get out of the cell. Mm. So that leads to allergies. Now that's only the case in parasympathetic dominance So sympathetic dominance could stand behind a bus and not get uh, allergies. You know, they've got very tight membranes due to calcium in the cell. So if someone tells me that they've got asthma and they might have psoriasis or eczema, for instance, it gives me clues as to which, where they are on the balance and and, um, what they need to eat accordingly.
1: I love it. Um, You're taking us to school and I appreciate (laughs) that. I was, you know, it was funny uh, because when I started my, uh, training, they had a prerequisite that we had to take biochemistry and so of, and that was the first time, cause I have an MBA, I have a little business background myself. And mm. so I'm thinking I'm a doctor, why well, I gotta take biochemistry? You know, I'm just, <laughs> you know, that's, well, why would I need a prerequisite? Right. But then, but then as I listen to you, I start to understand why. You know, you got to understand some biochemistry. Oh,
0: it's absolutely crucial. I mean, for instance, um, the reason that green, say leafy green vegetables are green is because of their magnesium content. You know, when you're looking at a leafy green, you're looking at magnesium. And the reason for that is the center molecule of chlorophyll, which makes them green, is is magnesium. And magnesium blocks the sympathetic nerves Mm. and, and, and boosts the parasympathetic nerves, so you can manipulate your nervous system by eating different kinds of foods. And that's kind of where the magic happens by bringing people back into autonomic balance through using the correct nutrients. But the, the key thing is, you know, you've got to understand the, the science and then which foods are applicable to you as, a, as an individual. Otherwise you can cause mayhem. You know, I can send yeah. someone into mania. I can send someone melancholically depressed by if you're giving them the wrong foods. So right, it's right. so important to know. And it is it is individual and it's largely thought to be genetic. So we really do need to identify as individuals what we should be eating and then we can avoid illness and disease.
1: Right. This is the future of medicine. And, um, and I just love the fact that this approach will allow people who are not being... First of all, you can start your journey knowing upfront what's likely to work for you, right? Yeah. And what what we do is we we say, everybody needs to be a carnivore, everybody needs to be keto, everybody needs to be vegan. We're not going to do that. We're going to say, let's look at you as an individual. We have some data that would help guide us. Let's use that data. And now, just like Dr. Eric Westman would say, he said, when people come see me, I have to be successful because people think I'm a... A world leader in this yeah. way of so so I think this is wonderful because for those who are struggling, they now have a an additional tool in their toolkit and and hopefully the resources that you provide will share that in the show notes. But I really am excited about just hearing that you can actually look at an individual and help them. And I'm also smiling because you mentioned, that I had the personality to keep eating my skin. <laughs> <laughs> so ever since you said, I'm like, I got this like smiling <laughs> emoji. If I can send a smiling emoji through this uh, podcast, I would. <laughs> so thank you for that. I'm feeling when I go see well, my Well, it's your
0: genetics. So I didn't do it. Oh, anything.
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's okay. <laughs> so I'm loving that. So anyway, so let me, let's talk a little bit about, um, I mentioned earlier, that um, in crisis, you may need medicine. So I just want to understand where medicine fits in this paradigm. Is that part of what you do? Do you have colleagues that you work with? Tell me a little bit about the role of medicines in patients who suffer from mental illness.
0: So in terms of the work I do, um, meds do not play um, any role at all. So I exclusively use nutrition to restore mental health. And that's because, you know, the largest impact of every nutrient, whether that be a vitamin, mineral, or trace element, beyond what they may do to influence, say, immune function, detoxification, or whatever, is their impact on the autonomic nervous system. So that's why I can so successfully use nutrients to reflex, tune people back into balance. And I see extraordinary outcomes. um, But I've got a lot of experience with pharmacology in the sense that, My father was treated with every psychiatric drug you can think of over a period of 40 years. And my clients often come to me on several different medications. Um, So something I see that's different between the US and the UK is that I think as a probably a byproduct of the fact that pharmaceutical meds are advertised on television there and it's illegal to do so here, is that my clients who are very often from the US are on more than one medication whereas in the uk they're either on none or maybe one so it's a different experience according to who i'm dealing with in the world um but i think you know other than the fact that my concentration is on is on nutrition i think there's several problems with psychiatric medication um but one of them is that they're not tailored to the individual's biochemistry so biomarkers are not used prior to prescribing it's a one-size-fits-all approach so typically if someone's diagnosed with depression they're given an ssri a serotonin-based antidepressant but people who are suffering from depression who are parasympathetic dominant they already have an overabundance of circulating serotonin so SSRIs actually make them worse and I experienced this myself 20 years ago when I took Prozac I was felt absolutely terrible on it and my dad's the same he does terribly on SSRIs so meds play no role in in my practice whilst people do come to me on meds but I think we can you know for those people that work in that field or who are interested in taking meds we can be a lot more refined by tailoring the drug to the individual's biochemistry because as i say they they do manipulate the nervous system as nutrition does too but we don't use biomarkers we use questionnaires to identify whether someone's suffering from say depression Um, but we can get a lot more sophisticated than that it's just not practiced Mm -hmm. we don't individualize like that unfortunately
1: It seems like it would be hard to mimic the totality of what nutrition would do, because it seems like nutrition would not just impact one neurotransmitter, serotonin, norepinephrine, it would impact all of them. And so to mimic that with medicine would be a challenge, Would you agree to that?
0: yes i would i mean both assist, both affect us systemically for sure in the people the reason why people often get upset stomachs when they take an ssri is because there's you know 95 of the serotonin we produce is in the gut um so you know you have to look at it consistently um but you know i know from giving people the suggesting to people different diets that the likes of say red meat Red meat contains tyrosine and phenylalanine, which are the precursors to the two main sympathetic neurotransmitters, epinephrine and norepinephrine. So by taking red meat, uh, especially fatty red meat, you can boost those sympathetic nerves. And if someone is dominant on the other branch, as, as I am, a parasympathetic dominant, something like red meat or fatty fish, like trout, can have immediate effects upon the brain chemistry, but without any side effects. You know, that's the other big picture is that, you know, things like gut health and and having stomach upsets and having problems with withdrawal off meds, which is a huge problem. You know, the using nutrition takes that out of the picture and you can very carefully manipulate someone back into balance using the nutrients in food. So why, you know, why wouldn't you use that approach, than pharmaceuticals which have got a pretty potted history when it comes to side effects in my opinion
1: yeah it's almost like we need a entire new field of medicine um, combined with the basic knowledge that a, a primary care doc like myself could have so if, for example i i treat depression anxiety i tend to refer people for bipolar schizophrenia to my behavioral health colleagues, yet I could refill those medicines on their behalf. But it's almost like we need that same model where we have people who really focus on nutrition to treat certain conditions while teaching the current professionals to do it as well. Maybe some will specialize in it because it may be complex. So, but I, but in fact, speaking of complex, could you give a, um, an example of if somebody comes in and they have a, uh, sympathetic dominant type, for example, I think mm. our listeners would be interested in hearing what that looks like in terms of treatment, in terms of what types of diets. And, uh, and I guess we could touch on supplements as well, but mm. let's, let's give me, give us a visual of what that would look like. So a person that's being treated for a particular brain type, what would that look like?
0: So, In terms of mental health, if someone's sympathetic, dominant, it means that branch is is dominant and the opposing branch, the parasympathetic system, is is weak. And those people would come to me with schizophrenia or when they're in a manic phase of bipolar. So there's an overexcitation on the sympathetic branch. And the treatment for that is is plant-based so as i've touched on previously the things like leafy greens because they contain magnesium they inhibit those very strong active sympathetic nerves so they calm that branch and in calming that branch because the there's two areas of the hypothalamus the anterior and the posterior and they have mutually inhibitory neurons running between them so As one branch dials up, the other dials down. And you're always trying to seek balance between the two systems. So if you give somebody leafy greens, and therefore magnesium, in calming the sympathetic branch, you're boosting the parasympathetic branch, which results in autonomic balance. And when we have autonomic balance, we have health, both physical and mental. So that would be the diet that somebody that was suffering from um, that in terms of mental illness, and then you can apply the same model to physical illness too. So hyperadrenal, hyperthyroid, high blood pressure, these are all the work of an overactive sympathetic nervous system. So the answer is to, to calm that branch and boost the opposing branch. So that would be, um, the way you do it through diet, it's just largely plant-based, but as I say, you'd need some animal protein in there too, so that may be an egg or two a day, uh, yogurt. Um, but then you know you asked about supplements. You can use supplements in the same regard. So you can take magnesium citrate and potassium citrate. So magnesium citrate will inhibit the sympathetic nervous system and potassium will boost the parasympathetic system. So you can use those two nutrients to manipulate the nervous system, and then there's a host, a real host of, of other ones: manganese, chromium, things like that. Um, uh, ALA's, plant-based fats. So there's a there's a long list, and so in my online program, what I do is you talk about trying to get the, the knowledge out there. I first go through mm-hmm. all of the science so people can understand the foundations of this approach but then i give people exactly what foods they need to be eating for their type and that you know that includes foods and and supplements and dosing of those supplements so you can get to learn where you sit on the spectrum and if you can't work it out you can just take a blood test and find out that the ph the acid base of your blood Uh, If you wanted a true biomarker, and then you can follow the model and eat the foods to manipulate your nervous system back into balance and get your pH down to back to seven point four two, which is kind of homeostasis. Um, So it, you know, it it gives everybody the the science and the practical application of, of, of that to get back into balance. So, yeah, that would be a that's the sympathetic branch, and then on the on the other side. So people that come to me with a very melancholic depression with low mood and lost interest in things, no energy, um, they need to acidify the diet. So that's um, done through a a host of other different foods. So a largely um, meat-based diet, especially fatty red meat, um, hopefully grass-fed if people can afford it, Mm -hmm. fatty fish. And then there's a host of other foods that complement those. So people that go carnivore, I find this a lot, that people might try carnivore to improve their mental health. They don't know what they can eat with it. Mm -hmm. So they they get a very narrow diet, and they're scared then to deviate from that diet. Mm -hmm. But there are very specific foods that can complement that to excite your sympathetic nervous system, um, which which complements meat really well. And then the supplements that do the same. So through a suite of different nutrients, you can bring about balance and overcome mental illness.
1: I am definitely going to be uh, looking into my brain type, um, <laughs> uh, because I do want to optimize my health. I think my kind of for friends out there who are listening will absolutely be interested in doing the same because you're right. There is this fear, um, I just have to do it strictly this way, and to know that there may be some things that they can add back. And they've already kind of done these experiments. They already yes. know there's certain things they can Same tolerate things, yeah. And, yeah. and but I think having a little bit more science to support it will add tremendous value. So I really uh, appreciate that. it's um, it's so, so important. So thank you for touching on, you know, the supplements and because I think a lot of people are, really interested in a quick fix, but I I really don't want anybody to think that way. I want people to say, hey, what do I need to uh, do in totality? And that'll, in fact, speaking of that, you know, when I think about the concept of the nest, you know, which Mm. deals with, you know, nutrition, exercise, less stress, more sleep, positive thinking, and I haven't even gotten to the rope, (laughs) but Uh, uh, you know, that's just talking about that. So when you think about those things, as you help patients on their journey. How much energy is put into those other uh, root causes of disease with that acronym as an example?
0: Yeah, so it's part of the consideration. In fact, before I concentrated upon nutrition, I actually did a huge amount of work about around stress reduction, and that was involving things like meditation. So just like nutrition, exercise has a profound effect on the autonomic nervous system. So fast exercise stimulates the sympathetic branch, whereas meditation and some forms of, say, slow breath work stimulates the parasympathetic system through the vagus nerve. So you can reflex tune your nervous system back into balance with the different types of exercise. But of course, people without a knowledge of the underlying science probably don't know which Exercise suits what? So again, it, it comes down to having a foundational understanding of the science and what impact these things have on you. Um, so for instance, sleep is the work of the parasympathetic system without engaging it. You can't sleep, which is why people find it hard to sleep when they're stressed. So remember that you know sym- the sympathetic system is our stress system, which works against us when we want to sleep. Um, so in my practice, I give people advice about exercise and sleep. Um, for example, I give advice uh, that people use say blue light blocking glasses when they're using computers or their mobile phone in the late yeah. afternoon and evening because um, that helps to stop the stimulation of the sympathetic nervous system you know when you're approaching evening and bedtime because that's going to work against you when you put your head on the pillow.
1: I love it. Um, So yeah,
0: I do think of those things.
1: Yeah, well, I'm happy. Actually, um, in partnership with the Diet Doctor, I have a low-carb corner uh, page on their website, and I write a monthly column with them. The last article is, in fact, I'll I'll, I'll share some links to that, but you can either search Hmm. on my website, drtonyhampton.com, And there's a link, it's LC Corner, low carb corner Mm -hmm. at the top, or uh, just Google low carb corner, Dr. Tony Hampton. But the last article I wrote was on stress, but the one that's coming up next month in March, 2021 is on sleep. So, and it's funny you bring up blue blockers uh, because when we used to do our healthy living um, uh, events where we teach in front of patients. I actually was, I sung the little jingle. I think it went something like, my name is geek. I put them on as a shocker. Hey, I love my <laughs> blue blockers. You know, this guy's on a beach, right? In California yeah. somewhere. You, I don't know if you recall that, but, um, but I sung the song for my patients to remind them that when you, mm. uh, wear those, uh, you know, blue blocking, blue light blocking uh, glasses, it actually does help sleep. So I really, you had me at hello, but I just wanted to... <laughs> well, if you're people. singing
0: to your patients, you must be parasympathetic dominant. <laughs> is that the right brain creative people say <laughs> uh, That for is sure. so funny. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I, anything to get their attention. So, <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. I'm happy. I wasn't sure what your response would be, but it's nice to know that you look at it holistically and look at all those other areas. But speaking of holistically, you know, tell us a little bit about this functional medicine, the role of functional medicine and where what's your background with that? Because it's been eye-opening for me.
0: Yeah. So um, you know, I've taken a couple of functional medicine courses and um I think it's a great starting point to transition someone away from the standard American diet, you know, in the US and and the in other countries, the sort of Western diet that prevalent so i think you touched upon low carb and i think functional medicine does a great job at informing practitioners that there's another way to approach nutrition which actually goes against unfortunately the guidelines that were given that is pretty heavy on carb um, but the only thing I would say, it, there is a limitation to in, in my mind in the fact that functional medicine doesn't take into account the autonomic nervous system and tailoring diet to balance it. Mm-hmm. And I think functional medicine doesn't recognize that. It, it does a lot of work around blood chemistry mm-hmm. and supplementation, but it's usually based on one diet kind of fits all, mm-hmm. trying to hit an optimum. Mm-hmm. but without the autonomic nervous system at its root. So to my mind, it was a very good foundational piece. Um, but I think since having moved into autonomic neuroscience, it just gives me that extra mm-hmm. critical element of being able to tailor diets to, to individuals.
1: I, I think if they are true scientists, and shout out to University of Western States. I always have to do a shout out when we talk about these topics <laughs> where I actually am receiving my nutrition and functional medicine training. Um, I think if they're true to science, they will evolve in that area. Uh, mm. You know, it's, it's hard to like, yes, it's
0: natural. You're it's, right.
1: Yeah. They have to evolve and see it. Um, so I think that's what I'm hoping. Um, because again, I had to discover you and this way of thinking as well. So, mm, and, and I yeah. and like you, and I, I'm the same point. way. I, I, functional medicine was wonderful because it hel- it had me thinking outside the box. Yeah. You got me thinking outside the box. So I think we just have to, as we continue to grow as scientists, we'll say, hey, let's let's challenge our current hypothesis. Yeah. And well, they're
0: already using biomarkers, aren't they? So they're yes. already in think the, this way of thinking. Yes. It's not a huge leap then to realize that um we need to consider that not there isn't just one approach for everybody Um, i know they they do do a lot of tailoring in in terms of blood Mm -hmm. profiles Mm -hmm. but um it isn't autonomic based
1: this is a nice segue to the next thing i had in mind to ask you which is you know what's your true north like Where do you want to see the world in five years, 10 years, as it relates to the work you're doing or just globally, how you see healthcare and Mm. how we take care of patients?
0: Well, it it took me 40 years to discover my (laughs) true purpose in life. Um, I thought I was destined for corporate boardrooms, um, but I think I've just since discovered that I was a healer. So, you know, I want to spend the rest of my life, even beyond five years, to dedicate to helping people heal. From mental illness has been such a big part of my journey. I said in the prologue from three years old that I want to try and spread the word as much as possible. You know, my online programme hopefully will help people to do that, both physicians and nutritionists and and, you know, clients, lay people alike. So, you know, I'm in a very single-minded place really with wanting to continue this work and hopefully bring more and more people on board as we go you know i started with the sole aim of healing my father you know he used to have ect electroconvulsive therapy every two weeks to stay out of hospital and he had that for over a decade so he's had hundreds and hundreds of courses of ect and he since he's been following my nutritional protocol he hasn't had any for 2 years he takes no antidepressants and oh. he's better than he's been for 10, over 10 years and he's 78. So um, it just goes to show, you know, what's possible. And I want other people to be aware, like you said earlier, that there's another way than the, than the traditional. Um, yeah. People may be listening to this struggling, and I can tell them hand on heart there's, there is another way, and um, they needn't lose hope.
1: I love it. Um, I, I hear the passion in your voice, and um, if I had a dad who – had healed that way. And I had personally healed that way. I'd want to shout it from the rooftop. So I really, (laughs) I thank God we have this, this, this way of sharing the message to get this message out. And, but we have to, we got to make sure that the healer is also healing. Uh, and you've shared what you've done, you know, in terms of your, you know, how you deal with depression, but I'm curious as it relates to my nest and rope acronym, you know, Mm. um, You know, when you think about the rope, the relationships and avoiding organisms, pollutants, you're protecting your emotions, making sure your your life experiences serve you. And of course, the NEST, nutrition exercise, less stress, more sleep, avoiding trauma and how we think. When you think about your journey over the next year, where will Matt uh, be putting his focus?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it all begins with awareness, so I have to be very, very careful with the relationships relationships I expose myself to, the food I put in my body, the work I pursue, you know, my genetics in this arena, with mental illness are not great. You know, my grandmother and grandfather also suffered greatly with depression. Um, my uncle, did, my dad did, and I've had three depressive episodes, thankfully. Now, you know, with this approach, I I don't struggle and I don't take meds, but I realise that I am vulnerable. So I'm very, very careful with making sure that everything is intentional. And I think that begins with awareness of knowing where you're at at any one point in time and tailoring things accordingly. So I have to be very careful with my exposure to stress and sleep um, and the way I think, my thought patterns and behaviors, um, doing detoxification procedures and taking the right supplements to do that and, of course, having the right diet. So it's a day-by-day journey and challenge for me. I, I really have to take it very seriously. But um, thankfully, in doing so, it keeps me well.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love being... Uh, on a journey. I think the biggest mistake we make in life is looking towards that goal and mm-hmm. only focusing on it while not recognizing the journey. So mm-hmm. I am absolutely a fan of that and appreciate you sharing your, 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 you know, the way you're going to approach it. So let's think about final takeaways and, or more importantly, there are people listening or like anxious to uh, use the resources you have. So, uh to share how those resources can be you know uh received and, and any final thoughts or takeaways yeah so in
0: terms of my own resources um if people go to my website which is mattjanes.com so that's matt with two t's and then j-a-n-e-s that's n for November, dot com, um they will find a series of resources so there are videos there's other podcasts where i explain um this approach but there's also access to my online program so people can read reviews that other people have taken the program and their transformations and they're all real real clients um so i would you know direct people towards mattjanes.com. Um i've also got articles on there where i talk about this approach and mental illness and things like cancer so some of the the work i you know i've learned has been born out of cancer treatment so you know i know a fair bit about that too so um there's some articles around that but the core is is um addressing this big journey that I've been on with uh, trying to resolve mental illness. So yeah, I t- some people there, but um, I think it's important to sort of about final thoughts and takeaways. And I touched upon hope earlier and I think it's a key message for people to hear is that you needn't lose hope. Um, I've seen the very depths of despair and in 2008, my father had a very, very severe suicide attempt And I found him and he was bleeding out and he begged me to let him die. And from a place of complete darkness, he has overcome that suffering and is now thriving at the age of 78. So I think wherever you are, however low you're feeling, however difficult the struggle is, there is hope and there is light. And I know this to be true with every fabric of my being. And my father's living proof of that.
1: I love it. Now, your book will uh, also be on your website as well, right? Yes, it is. It's on on my website, Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Matt, you have really been a gift today. And I really hope that anybody listening who really is suffering or has a family member or is a clinician, this is an opportunity that Uh, we should do a little bit of an experiment at least to see if this will work for you, your family or your patients. So I want to thank you again for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this and I am just so happy and thrilled that we've had a chance to talk today. So thank you again.
0: Thank you, Tony. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. It's been really delightful. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. So today, guys, we learned about an extraordinary practitioner who understands that if we focus on the root cause of mental illness, we may find a more effective way to treat it. Like Dr. Eric Westman at Duke in U- the U.S. and Dr. David and Jen Unwin in the U.K. with my, my partner here, uh, mm-hmm. they, they have both handed me a baton. To continue the low carb work, but Matt Jane was given a baton from Drs. Beard, Pavlo Price, Python, Funkenstein, Gail Horn, Kelly, and Gonzalez. And, and if we are to live our life pur- purpose, we need to have a fully functional mind, one that is in balance and one that is given the proper nutrition to thrive. I know this is very exciting and is tempting for everyone to just simply get a list of supplements, to, you know, to fix this problem. But it's it's more complicated than that, as you've heard from Matt. So I suggest you consider Matt and his team and use them to help support you, your family, and if you're a clinician, your patients, so that they can achieve their goals, their mental health goals with the right support. I'll make sure to share the sh- in the show notes the links to, to Matt's resources and I would also love to hear from you about your thoughts about this episode and in general, the podcast in general. So share your thoughts by commenting in the Apple podcast app. So to all of you, I appreciate you. And as I always say, I only ask that you be well, be safe and to continue to protect your nest. You've been listening to Protecting Your Nest with Dr. Tony Hampton for more visit drtonyhampton.com.